The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Amen. Well, uh, it's good to see all of you. Praise God for all of you who are joining us digitally. And um, as we were sitting there singing... Uh, I realized how many times I was touching and adjusting that mask, and I was thinking, man, that's, that's kind of a distraction. But then I remember what it was like when we were just doing digital, and there's distractions that way. And, and I was thinking about what we're singing and you know, how sin, it appears to be this, this great big problem. And so can these distractions, right? Like wearing the mask, trying to sing and, and study God's word together, or, or being at home and all the distractions that happen with that. Those distractions can be great, but can I just say the same remedy is there. Jesus is greater. So even though I'm fooling with my mask and you know, feel like I'm fogging my eyeballs, I'm still connecting with what God's doing through worship, and I hope you're able to as well. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, please turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start in verse 1. We're just breaking into Mark chapter 2 today. We're continuing our journey through the book of Mark together. The sermon series is called Servant King. And uh, a quick reminder, in case you missed it, uh, in in the previous weeks, the book of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and and though Mark wrote it, there's pretty good reason uh, to think that he was recording the eyewitness accounts of Peter, and that helps a little bit to think um, about, you know, the lens with which we view what we're seeing here. Um, I would, kind of having that in mind, how much I know that moving forward this week, I'm going to be referencing where we've already been, because it all ties together. I want to say that uh, if you're a part of Love City Church, it's it's always important to go back and to catch any sermons that you may have missed, because, and I don't know if you know that this is what the Bible presents as true, or what we believe here, but one of the primary ways that God leads and shapes and forms each local church body is through the teaching of God's word when we gather together. It's really important what we're doing here. We're not just doing this because of tradition. We're doing this because this is how the scriptures instructed us to move forward as a part of the mission of making disciples in the world. And I'll also say this, that more often than not, you guys are turning to Mark 2, right? Amen. Uh, We will have the verses on the screens if you don't have a Bible. Uh, I'm kind of giving you some time to find it. It should be right after Matthew, right before Luke. More often than not, uh, when I talk to someone who is feeling disconnected or unenthusiastic about the work that the Lord is, is doing in us and through us as a church, when I press in and, and kind of ask some questions, more often than not, they, they have not been consistently attending gatherings or listening to them online afterwards. Um, and the truth is, we're getting hit every week with a lot of different stuff, man, a lot of information, uh, a lot of voices, and Um, we're hearing and we're seeing a lot of different things. And I'm not sure if you've ever broke it down, but there's 168 hours in a week. And and I just think it's really important we use at least one of those to stay connected to the preaching and teaching of God's word from the local church that the Lord has placed you in. And so I'm hoping, and I know many of you are like, this seems pretty basic, man. Yeah, we know that. That's important. But there may be folks that don't. They may not know that's an integral part of spiritual formation. So I wanted to put that out there. It's important. We stay connected. And, and this principle that I'm talking about, it's even more important when we're going verse by verse through books of the Bible, because similar to any book, books of the Bible have a flow and they have connecting themes within them that also then connect to the overall storyline of Scripture. And 
I don't know if you look at these things, I tend to. The, the latest statistics I've seen is that the majority in the U.S. of professing believers are attending worship gatherings twice a month, or about half the time. And I think that's non-related to the changes because of COVID-19, okay? So that, that's, this, these stats were taken before all that, and that's not really a factor. And I'm not really talking about travel or kind of special things that come up or issues that happen. I'm talking about a consistent pattern that this is just what people are doing. So, uh, you know, unless there is some legitimate schedule issue with a job or some other unavoidable commitment or there's a health issue, um, the fact that we've gotten to the point that as a regular pattern, most of the people polled that are professing believers saying that they're hitting one out of two church gatherings personally, you don't have to believe this, I think that's kind of a pitiful indictment on our priorities. So none of you agree? Okay, good. All right. I'll stand alone on it. I'm not real worried about it. It won't be the first time. But secondly, if you miss a Sunday gathering and you don't at least listen to the sermon, you're going to end up seeing just a fragmented picture of the book or series that we're going through. And this will be a hindrance to your spiritual growth and our growth as a church body. Because again, God uses what we're doing here on Sunday mornings as a part of how he shapes and forms and builds us. Amen. So, with that in mind, uh, and with excitement, let's, let's read Mark chapter 2. We're going to do verses 1 through 12 together. And what we're going to see today is how Jesus responds to four guys interrupting his sermon by tearing a hole in the roof to get to him. One of my favorite stories. I hope you're excited too. So Mark 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12. Now we'll do 13. Throw it in there. A little bonus. Okay. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. Praise God for his word. Amen. Okay, so we're going to work through this little chunk at a time. So we go back to verses 1 through 4. Many people ask the question, you know, many are aware that Jesus said we're we're called to be the light of the world. He said he's the light of the world, and then he's passing that torch to us to be the light of the world. But how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to fulfill this call from Jesus? Is it... Is that the answer? (laughs) Is that me? Okay. Okay. Is it more important that we preach the good news of the gospel or that we show the good news of the gospel by meeting people's needs and doing acts of mercy? 
And, and, and this is one of those times where if you've been around here any amount of time, you'd expect to hear me say both. And, and that is true. The, the faithful proclamation of the gospel should always be accompanied by the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to accomplish. But I think a very strong case can be made that one of these does supersede the other in priority. And, and as we saw last week, the likely reason that Jesus had moved his ministry inside, did you catch that? He said, you know, he's sitting inside teaching now. There's people all around to the, the point they can't even, people can't get up to the door. That's why these guys ended up hacking a hole in the roof. Why? Why did he go inside? He could have seemingly preached to so many more people if he had stayed outside. Well, he had done that because what he was doing in the street had become all about people just thronging him to be healed. So there was a diversion from what Jesus' main purpose was. People were just excited about possibly getting a healing. And again, we talked about this last week. We believe God heals. We believe he can. We believe we should ask for that in faith. And according to his sovereign will, he sometimes does. Or sometimes it's in the process of taking us through whatever that trouble is that we're praying for deliverance from, uh, that he does greater work in us. So, uh, but Mark tells us in verse 2 what he was doing inside this house was he was speaking the word to them. So here again, if you remember from last week, and we'll look at it again in a minute, you know, the, guy, the, the disciples pop up and they're like, hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus is like, yeah, let's, let's roll to the next town so that I can keep preaching this gospel message I came to preach. Right? And that's, that's troubling for some, for some theological frameworks, but it's not for us because Jesus is sovereign king and he knows what's best. So we're okay with it. So what we're, what we're saying here, I, I, will, I will grant you that it's a bit of an inference and it's, it's maybe not strong enough to make a definitive statement about the importance of preaching the gospel and, and the truth of the gospel over meeting the needs of suffering people as a reflection of the gospel. And understand what I'm saying. You know, we, <laughs> we like things to be equal. We don't, sometimes we don't like saying one thing's more important than another. And make sure you understand what I'm saying here. When it comes to the question of how do we fulfill the call of God, the mission of God in the earth, what I'm saying is not that meeting people's needs is not important and that we're not called to it, because we absolutely are. You can't read the scriptures or the teachings of Jesus and come away with any other conclusion. But there, there is this problem sometimes where people read about what Jesus did and healing and feeding and, and all of that, and, and there can be an inversion. So what I just want to say plainly is, when it comes to preaching the good news of the gospel and meeting physical needs of people, one is more important than the other. That's the case I'm making. Okay, And where am I making that case from? I'm making it from uh, the actions and words of Jesus, which I think is the only place we should try to make a case if we're having this discussion. Amen? Okay. So what I want to do is look a little earlier in Mark's gospel to see if we can decide if it is reasonable to assume that Jesus was indeed in this house because he saw the teaching of his message, the teaching of his message as his highest priority. So I'm going to read you Mark 1, 35 through 38. This should sound familiar. Uh, if, if you were here last week. Uh, it says, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. We don't know the exact words of Jesus when he was teaching in this house. It doesn't tell us that. But 
we do know that everything Jesus taught throughout his ministry tied back to one central message, and we see that message summarized a few verses earlier in Mark 1. I'm going to read you those. This is verses 14 and 15. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was the message that Jesus came to preach. It's the message he came to live and that he died for. This is the message of the whole Bible, that God made us for perfect, uninhibited relationship with him. That we have all sinned trying to be our own God instead. And in doing that, we've separated ourselves from our creator. But Jesus came to redeem us and restore us to that eternal purpose we were made for. To be loved by God and to be able to love him then in return. And this was his message. And so all that I'm laying out thus far is to say, yes, look, God is love. And yes, Jesus reveals to us who God is. And yes, everything God does is the most loving thing that can be done. Can we agree on that? Think about what I just said. Is every, if God is love, is everything he does and how he does it the most loving way it can be done? Are you with me on that? You understand why I'm saying that? That's okay. That's important. But then we have to transpose that belief onto what we're seeing Jesus clearly do here. Jesus saw his first purpose and the most loving thing he could do was to preach the need for repentance and to teach the good news of his kingdom. The, the first thing we said was pretty easy to buy, but the, where we may end up hitting some hesitation is when we then transpose it to what Jesus actually did and said, not the parts of the stories that we like the most. Amen, Pastor Vince. You, that was a good spot, whoever got that. Nice job. <laughs> now, I, I know I'm making a strong case here, but I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not trying to minimize the importance of loving people by meeting their felt needs in hopes that their hearts will be open to us speaking to the greatest need that we all have, which is to be reconciled to God. Let me read this from James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Okay? So we have to balance what we're saying here, but it's okay for us to understand there's a, there's a hierarchy of importance. And, and <clears throat> If you're looking for a practical example, this is our whole philosophy on Wednesdays and Fridays when we lead teams out on the streets for ministry. We, we, we've said this to every single person that has come out to help uh, do what it is we're doing out there. If we just go out and preach to hungry people, we are not loving them well. If we just preach to hungry people, we're not loving them well. If we just feed hungry people a physical meal, we're not loving them well either. Throwing sandwiches at hungry people who don't know that there's hope in Christ for them and then walking away is a tragedy. But we also have to acknowledge that the gospel is offensive because it starts with a need for repentance. A true presentation of the gospel of Christ starts with, you need Christ. I do, why? Because you're a sinner!
right? And if we're honest, it can be hard to find the opening to go there with people. It is is really tempting to go with the well-intentioned but inaccurate philosophy. Some of you may have heard this, and I may... Get ready. I might tip over a golden calf for you right now or step on your holy toes or whatever, okay? You ready? Wince up. Clinch up. You ready? Because it's an inaccurate philosophy and it's not very helpful that, that we can preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That's not right. Because us being kind and generous and loving people by meeting their physical needs is not letting them know the terribly bad news that they're separated from God by their sin and that the only way that's going to be fixed is for them to acknowledge it and surrender to Christ and have them save them. Being kind to people, whether on the streets doing outreach or at your job or at your school, it is not the highest expression of love. It is a good thing and a godly thing to be sure, but the highest expression of love is telling someone their need for Jesus and his willingness to receive them if they humbly acknowledge their sin and surrender to him. Right? The, the gospel can't be preached because there's, there's people that mess this up, okay? There, you can find videos all over YouTube of guys going out and, and doing healings or supposed healings. I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to get into that. But you'll, you'll see them at the end and they'll just say, man, just God, you're so awesome. God just loves you so much. And that's it. And walk away. But then you can also probably find a video of some guy with a bullhorn and a, and a sandwich board on with flames, and all it says is, You're a rotten sinner going to hell. Yeah. Neither one of those is complete, <laughs> right? Which is part of why the, the, the task of being light in the world, it, it's not something you, you can't do drive by disciple making. You can't get the message out by just throwing it at somebody as you're passing by. That's why Jesus reached out and touched the leper that we talked about last week. It takes engagement. It takes relationship. It takes investment. It's going to be inconvenient for you. It's going to cost something. Not nearly as much as it costs Christ, but it will cost something. Now, one way to do this, to to bridge this gap that I've seen is effective, because I'm assuming at this point, you're hearing what I'm saying, and and you're, you're moved in your heart with a desire to actually engage people with the gospel, and, and you're acknowledging the reality that when you have been in situations where you're trying to do that, it can be hard to get there. It can be, you know, everyone's, you know, sports ball and weather and whatever, you know, it's all these types of things we're talking about. How do I get to, hey, uh, <laughs> you're a sinner separated from God, and Jesus is your only hope, right? So I, I have seen this be helpful, though. If you learn how to pray the gospel, because when, when I've been out on the streets, uh, I, I, have, I have encountered this reality that people will shut you down very quickly as soon as they think what you're doing is trying to talk to them about religion, right? That's, people even teach that. You get together for Thanksgiving with your relatives, what do you not talk about? Go ahead, shout them out. Politics, religion, right? And if the food's not good, just keep your mouth shut, right? Because grandma don't need, or auntie or whoever made it don't need to hear that. Just say it was good. Or don't eat it, that way you don't have to lie. Okay. Or find something that was good. The cranberries were great. That turkey might have been like eating chalk, but the cranberries were good, Memo. Amen. Let's go to Burger King. (laughs) But people will shut you down if they think that you're trying to talk about religion. But what I have found is that many will allow you to pray for them if you ask. I could probably count on 
on two hands, in all the years I've been doing ministry on the streets, how many times someone's told me, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Very, it's very unlikely. And, and that's experiential. Okay, I, I didn't do a poll. But I'm just telling you my experience. Um, and, and I, <laughs> I want to say this. For those of you who have not seen this done, the prayers that I pray and, and have tried to teach others to pray, they're, they're not like this, okay? We're not praying... Lord God, please have mercy upon this dirty, wretched spawn of the devil who is rightly condemned to the flames of hell forever. Okay. <laughs> but, but we will pray things like this. Lord, thank you that even though every single one of us has sinned, every single one of us have sinned. That you sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't and die the death we should have in our place. That he also rose from the grave three days later just like he said he would. And thank you that we have hope now and for eternity because of Christ and him alone. How long did that take me? Did anybody time it? It wasn't that long. It wasn't, it wasn't one of these kind of pharisaical prayers. It takes five minutes where if, you know, and, and I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen it happen where someone gets ripping on a prayer and, and they just lost track of time. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of maybe standing on the outside, I got my hand on a shoulder, and the person over there is praying and they're, they're going hard, man. They're sweating and everything. And the person they're praying for is look, looking around at you like it's, is everybody else still doing it? Like, they're looking for an out. So, there's no, <laughs> look, man, <laughs> some of us need to learn how to be able to pray more than eight seconds, right? It should be longer than a rodeo ride. But on the other hand, <laughs> keep in mind, <laughs> keep in mind that, uh, you know, <clears throat> Jesus said it that you don't have to pray super long, okay? He gets it. But there's a, there's a, there's a craft to that, and there's a, there's a, even in just being able to express the gospel in succinct ways, the whole gospel in succinct ways is helpful. And if you really care about engaging in this mission Jesus left for us, then you'll take time to think about that. You'll practice that. Okay? Amen. All of this thus far is to, is to show you that, that Jesus saw his mission of preaching the gospel as his first priority and that we should too. But never at the exclusion of kindness and meeting people's secondary needs as well. They do go together, and we see Jesus do both. I could see some of you possibly still being resistant to the idea, because you might be thinking, well, how, how can preaching the gospel to someone be the most loving thing I can do if it offends them? How is that possible? Well, I think part of our issue is that we struggle to believe this simple fact. That every single person's greatest need is Jesus and his gospel. Like, we, we need to be re-immersed in thinking through why that's actually true. And, and stay there. Because people can give off a sense that that's not their greatest need. And I, I venture to guess that the, the four homies that lowered their friend down through the roof didn't think their friend's greatest need was the gospel or Jesus talking to them about his sins. They probably thought his greatest need was to be able to get up and walk. But we, dear friends, we who have been given the word of God that makes these things plain for us, at least we need to understand this. Because we may speak to someone about what their greatest need is and they don't yet know what their greatest need is. That's part of our job. It's with the help of the Holy Spirit to express that to them. To awaken in them a hunger for something they maybe not even knew was missing. We, we, we struggle to believe the gospel truly has the power to change even the most resistant person. It's tempting when you can just tell somebody is, has a, a visceral, 
anger-filled response towards the message of Jesus. It's very easy to just think, well, not much I can do with them. We need to know that through the power of his Holy Spirit, that the, the message of the gospel can melt the most frozen heart. I think the more we truly buy into the supremacy of Christ as the great physician who can bring a cure to all the sickness that sin has caused in our world and in our hearts, the more we buy into that, the more willing we will become to make a ruckus if it means getting people to him. Let me call your attention to verse 4 that we read today. It says this, Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Now, I'm not sure if you understand kind of ancient Israeli home structures, but it's it's highly likely that what we have is kind of in a... You, you maybe seen them in the Southwest. It kind of looks like an adobo type thing. You know, it's 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 mud and stone. And but oftentimes they would have an outside staircase that went up to a rooftop terrace. Okay, and so this it'd be like a flat roof, and it would have thatch and layers of mud and other materials. And so this is this is what they broke through. It would have been a pretty significant amount of work and caused a pretty significant amount of damage. Uh, but here's the reality: these guys were willing to offend some people and mess some stuff up to get their friend to Jesus. And here's, here's the real kicker. They didn't even have his eternity in mind. They just wanted his paralysis healed. I, I am praying and I am hoping that we can get some holy boldness and be willing to cause a ruckus to get people to Jesus. What I'm hoping and what I'm asking you for is, as we study this together is I'm asking you to pray for a sense of urgency that will shake us from the stupor of all our temporal distractions and our, our, our comfortable sensibilities. There, there are many of us who, whether we have said it out loud or fully formulated the thoughts in our minds, we've come to believe that Jesus wouldn't want us to offend anybody. That, that if, if what we're doing is causing a ruckus in our culture or in, in our workplace or whatever, that that's not what God would have us do. I'm, I'm not saying that we act wild for the sake of acting wild, but I am saying that if we really love people and we really believe, we really believe that without Jesus, they have no hope either now or for eternity. Do we really believe that? That without Jesus, no man or or no woman has hope now or for eternity, then we will be willing to risk our egos, our reputations, being rejected, and a whole lot more in order to preach this precious truth to those who need to hear it. Now, I could see some of you thinking, well, isn't this presumptive? Are we, are we assuming too much to say that every person's greatest need is to have their sin forgiven and be made right with God through faith in Jesus? Is, it, is that a bit much? Well, I think verse 5 can help us with that. Let me read that to you again. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine, try to imagine, the awkward stares and the faces of the people in this room when Jesus looks at this paralyzed guy that just got dropped down on a stretcher from the roof and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the room? (laughs) Right? I mean, if, if nothing else from this, we should really start expecting Jesus to answer 
our prayers in a way far different than we thought he would have, right? I mean, at least let's get that part. Now, a lot of scholars think that this was Peter's house they were in, and there's reasons why they say that. It doesn't really matter, but I'm, I'm so surprised that in this account, when, when this guy drops down and Jesus said, says to him, son, your sins are forgiven, I'm so surprised we don't see Peter going, uh, Jesus, real quick, um, th- the guy's paralyzed, actually. <laughs> right? Like, uh, here's the thing. Jesus, because Peter always, you know, foot in mouth. I would, I would have brought it up farther to kind of show you, but that's, that's what we got. I, I helped someone move yesterday, so that's it. All right. Jesus knew this guy was paralyzed, but he also knew his greatest need wasn't to walk because without being made righteous by God's grace, this guy could walk out of that house that day and stay on a path that led him to eternal separation from the God that made him. Walk out of there with two good legs straight away from the very place he belongs, which is in the arms of the Father. And we need to know this is not a one-time thing either. The greatest need for every human is not a one-time realization of our need for repentance and an acceptance of God's grace through the gospel. This is our greatest need every day and every time we come to Jesus. So many of us, we come to Jesus asking for healing for our body or, or healing for our marriages or provision or healing for our loneliness or, or whatever the request is. And it's okay to ask for those things. He said we should come and ask about those things. But what, what we sometimes aren't leaving room for is the understanding that it is often, it is often in these struggles that God is allowing. And he's, he's doing that in order to shake us awake to our need for him first. Sometimes what he's doing is he's not, he's not bringing deliverance from the thing you're asking deliverance for until your prayer changes to just knowing that you need him. And, and, and sometimes the timeline on that has something to do, less to do with what God's doing in the thing and more to do with your stubbornness. Right? Okay, amen. And my stubbornness. <laughs> we need the gospel every minute of every day because the gospel is the only way we can dare to admit how broken and sinful we really are without being crushed by hopeless despair. It's the only way you get to live a real authentic life. I know those are buzzwords right now, and, and there's a lot of people that w- they won't understand what I'm saying right now, but, but in, the gospel is the only way you can truly acknowledge how wretched you are and not be crushed by that realization at the, at the very same moment. Because, why is that? Because the gospel brings to light this otherwise undiscoverable truth. Without the gospel, you can't understand this. That even though we are more sinful than we are even aware, we're also more loved and accepted than we can even imagine. Those are both true at the same time. And God's the only one that can do that. God's the only one that sees how dark we really are, how broken we really are. We don't even see it. And if God revealed to us all at once how much brokenness there is and how much work there is left to do to get us from where we are to where he is in perfect holiness, we would lay down and sob. But he's patient and he's long-suffering and he works us like a faithful potter on a wheel. Experiencing the grace and forgiveness of Christ is even the greatest need of those who have been victimized by others. Because it is only in truly understanding how much it costs God to forgive me that I can possibly consider 
following his example and erasing in my heart the debt of those who have sinned against me. Even when we decide that freedom is really found in forgiveness, we will not just need the example of God's grace to follow, but we will need the power of God's grace to follow through. Now, some of you in reading this account, you're paying close attention and you've noticed something strange. You know that the Bible teaches there's no forgiveness of sins aside from repentance, and we have no record here of this paralytic repenting. So what is going on? What we know is that Jesus is not contradicting all of the rest of the scripture teaches here regarding repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So it is quite possible that Mark tells the story like he does so that we can understand what is happening. So let me read verses 6 through 8 to you again real quick. I think it's going to show us what's happening here. I'm glad you guys noticed that and stopped me so that we address it. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Jesus knew the inner contemplations of the hearts of these scribes. And it stands to reason he could do the same thing with the paralytic. It stands to reason that he could perceive a humble repentance in the heart of this paralyzed man, and it caused him to grant forgiveness. Now, we need to keep in mind, it's very easy for us to villainize the scribes and Pharisees, but if you put yourself in their shoes for a second, the scribes weren't wrong in why they were upset, okay? They knew this is true. Only God can forgive sins. And that meant what Jesus was doing here was claiming divine authority. So put this one in your pocket, too, the next time you have a conversation with someone that says, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's a crazy thing Christians made up, okay? This one goes in the pocket, too. All his enemies knew what he was doing. That's why they got so ticked at him. That's eventually why they killed him, okay? They knew that only God could forgive sins, and that meant Jesus was claiming divine authority. Where they got it wrong here is that Jesus was claiming to be God, because he was God. And that's what they were unwilling to acknowledge, even though they're watching what's happening in front of them. That he is God and he's the Savior and the Messiah that they had been told for hundreds of years was coming. The problem, their problem was the same problem that we often have. Jesus didn't come the way they thought he would. Born to a, a humble peasant girl. They thought Jesus would have showed up coming from clearly royal bloodlines, that when he popped on the scene, he would have come in a, on a battle-ready horse, full of armor, ready to just crush the Roman oppressors. That's, that's what they were looking for. They were looking for a political and military uh, salvation, and that's not what they got. Uh, verse 9 is interesting, and there's, there's not a lot of agreement on the answer to the question. Let me... Uh, let me just read that to you real quick. What is the question? Jesus says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? So commentators, you know, they kind of bat back and forth. Well, what, what is the answer? Which is easier to say? And, and I think most good ones end up at the place of saying, we're not real sure <laughs> which is easier to say, and that's probably a safe place to land. But what I'll do is unpack a couple thoughts. You can think and pray about it some more on your own. 
in, in the sense of what is easier to say right there in the moment, it could be argued that to say your sins are forgiven is easier because there's no external way to verify that it actually happened. So Jesus could have said that, and if he didn't say get up and walk, he would have never been put on the spot about whether or not he actually had any of the power that he was claiming to have, right? But in terms of which one is actually more difficult to accomplish, there had been many people healed by God throughout history, but the full and final forgiveness of sins was going to cost Jesus everything as he stood in our place, taking the punishment for the rebellion of the world upon the cross. Okay, so it's kind of which, you could go either way on that. Now, if you haven't found anything to be excited about in this sermon yet, I want you to try this one on for size. Because Jesus, Jesus kind of, as he often does, superseded the questions we would tend to get hung up on. He made it real easy because whether or not we can figure out which one he thinks is easier, it, it, it doesn't matter as much as this truth. Okay, what did he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Grab your pallet, get up and walk. Which one's easier to say? Well, it doesn't matter a whole lot because he did them both. <laughs> what? Verses 10 through 12, ready? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he laid there. No, he did not. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. He did them both, friends. Come on. He did it so that everyone would know he was the son of man. And healing this man spiritually and physically was well within his power and authority. And this term, son of man, it's, it's Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself throughout the Gospels. And this is one of the first times we see him do it in the Gospel of Mark. But what does that mean? I want to take a minute and show you now, because we're going to keep going through Mark. You're going to keep seeing Jesus call himself the Son of Man. So I want you to know what that's about, okay? I'm going to read you Daniel 7, uh, 13 through 14. We're almost done. Here's what, da- here's what it says in Daniel. This is where Jesus gets that, that, that determination, that, that name, Son of Man. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That is the Son of Man. You see, because for Jesus to call himself King and Messiah was perfectly accurate. But to the hearers of that day, those titles would have conjured images of overthrowing Rome and ending their earthly oppression, which was their greatest concern. But Jesus wanted everyone to know the deliverance he brought was much grander, and the freedom he was going to accomplish was much broader than just overthrowing Rome. Rome was a footnote and a blip on the radar compared to what Jesus came to accomplish. Through his perfect life, his sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection, he was going to overthrow sin and death itself and every force of darkness that would ever try to stand in the way of God's plan to spend eternity with the children whom he loves. The Son of Man came to do that. He is King and He is Messiah. And that's the thing, friends. When we look at the the scribes of the day, we look at the people of the day, and we see how their vision was narrow about what they were expecting the Messiah to do, 
We need to understand the scripture doesn't tell us that just so that we can stand in our place of privileged information looking backward with, with 2020 hindsight and say, Mm-mm-mm. look at them foolish ancient people. Goodness gracious, Lord bless their hearts. It's so that we can pick this up as a mirror and know that oftentimes our view of what God is up to and what he's doing in our lives is narrow. He's often doing much more than we possibly thought he could be. And oftentimes in ways that are much different than the way we would expect. Amen. Praise God. May we rejoice in the glorious victory of Jesus, the Son of Man. May we realize our greatest need is to bow our knee to him. That we may receive grace and forgiveness from him. And go forth with love-motivated boldness to preach this truth to the ends of the earth. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you so much for these first 13 verses. Thank you, Lord, that it ends by just once again laying out that verse 13, it seems disconnected from the rest of the text, but it says Jesus was out by the seashore. And what was he doing once again? He was teaching them. (laughs) He was speaking the good words of the kingdom. God, help us see this. Lord, help us not just intellectually and academically come to the place where we're comfortable saying, yes, the preaching of the good news of Christ's gospel, the actual preaching and speaking of it, the teaching of it, that that is the most important priority for us as followers of Jesus. I don't want to just be comfortable with that on an intellectual level. God, help us with the power of your Holy Spirit that that would affect the way we live. It would affect the way we spend our time. It would affect the way we spend the money you've entrusted into our hands. It would affect how we move through life and through the spaces where we find ourselves. That we would be constantly looking for opportunities to share with people and to to exert towards people the greatest act of love that that, that is possible for a human. And that's to share with them their need for Christ and the hope they have in him alone. God, please open up doors of opportunities for those who are hearing this and who are, they, they are stirred in their spirit to, to respond and they desire to honor you in this way. God, I ask you to open up doors of opportunity. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear that when, when you are lining things up and you are putting people in their path where they can participate in this great and, and glorious occupation that you've given us as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, God, that, that they would be able to step into those that they would not miss opportunities. I pray the same for myself, Lord. I want eyes to see and ears to hear. I want to be ready. Thank you, Lord, uh, for what you're doing in us uh, as it pertains to these things. Thank you for the opportunities you're providing for us. And God, we just thank you so much for your word. We know it, it has power. We know it is our daily food. Please forgive us for the times when we don't act like it. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We honor you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.com dot org